Okay, welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man, where we like to talk about movies, sports, and whatever else we feel like. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. He's known as Bruce today, and today we're going to be talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, co-winner of the what should what eighties movie eighties uh, movie should we review? The other winner was um, Sixteen Candles. So terrible, I blanked it out of my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, Sixteen Candles, both John Hughes movies. Yes. Shockingly, very different movies. <laughs> of all the 80s movies, these were the two that won, both mm-hmm. by John Hughes. <laughs> yeah. So, but today we're, we're going to review the one I enjoyed watching. <laughs> <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, kick it off with First Impressions of the Fat Man. Uh, it's arguably one of John Hughes' best movies. There's a three movies of his that I put on that list. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Breakfast Club, and Home Alone, obviously. Comedy-wise, this is obviously my, my number one of John Hughes. I did like Breakfast Club because it did have an an impact on, on me as a young person when I discovered it. Home Alone's just a classic. But yeah, it's about teenagers being teenagers. And there's really not a whole lot of heavy-hitting stuff. There is, but it has nothing to do with the main character per se. Like, if you didn't know that the movie was called Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you would not know that Matthew Broderick's character was the main character. You would think that the movie was about uh, Alan Ruck's character, Cameron. Because if you know John Hughes movies, there's always something serious in them. All in all, it was very funny, moved very well, lighthearted. There really weren't any parts in this that I could just really cringe over. Yeah. The, yeah. Unlike our last one. Like, oh my gosh, 16 Candles. <laughs> For me, this was like night and day. What I would characterize Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it's a lighthearted 80s movie that is ultimately about relationships. It's about the relationship between Ferris and Cameron. It's about the relationship between Ferris and his sister, between Ferris and his parents. It's a relationship between Cameron and his absent father and also absent mother, to be a little blunt. Uh-huh. I guess the relationship between Ferris and, and his girlfriend is, I don't even know his girlfriend's name. Now that I think about it. <laughs> between Ferris and his girlfriend is also a part of it. It does get brought up. But ultimately, this is a movie about uh, relationships. Unlike 16 Candles, which was effectively a movie about sex, right. which is why it was just so hard to watch <laughs> in so many ways. A lot more enjoyable movie. It's so very iconic. And I know I use that word a lot, but, you know, we happen to watch a lot of iconic movies, so it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ferris's girlfriend's name is Sloan. Sloan. That's right. Sloan Peterson. There's just so many iconic scenes that get used by other uh, in other media. There's iconic phrases. There's iconic um, back and forth. We get to see Charlie Sheen's best acting experience ever. We, you know, it's just, there's just so many. And in my mind, um, this is not necessarily the best John Hughes movie. I would make a solid argument that I, I think Breakfast Club is better, but it was very, very, very good. <laughs> and it either established or made super popular a lot of tropes that get used in uh, modern media. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Very iconic movie. And it was about relationships. And and none of the advice that was given was bad. 
Right. Like I never walked walked out of the, any of the scenes feeling dirty or used. Going, what the? <laughs> <laughs> so so it starts off like most John Hughes movies in a northern midwestern town like Cleveland, but in this case, it's a suburb of Chicago. It's early morning. So the picture of this house has got a couple of cars in front. It's a big house, you know, like four or five, maybe, you know, four or five bedroom house. You can just tell it's like a spring or a summer morning. You hear the usual sounds, you know, it's time to get to go to school. You know, I'm on my way. And what we come to is uh, a close up of Matthew Broderick laying in bed. He's got a very wide eyed look on his face. And his parents are like, are you okay? He's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Pretending that he's fine. But he's pretending to be sick, pretending that he's fine. And he, he starts having an argument with this, or not an argument, but he's like, oh, I'm going to go to school. And they're like, no, no, you're too sick. You know, oh, I'm going to go to school and you're too sick. <laughs> so they tell him it's okay, that they'll take care of it, you know, that he, he can stay home from school. So they're, they're trying to figure out if he's okay or not. And he is... Effectively faking he's sick. Mm -hmm. His parents are convincing him to stay in bed. And in comes in his sister, Jeannie. She's like, what's his problem? I can't believe this. He gets to stay home and I get to go to school. And what does she say? Like, it's something like my, you know, I could be... You know, my hand could be cut off and I could be vomiting nonstop and you would make me go to school. <laughs> right. But he is just like, you know, it's it's the stereotypical first child versus second child rivalry we get set up in the very, very beginning of the movie. It's just very much a slice of Americana, right? Right. Again, Ferris is playing it up going, Jeannie, is that you? Like, like you can't see her. <laughs> yeah. And she's calling BS the whole time. <laughs> right. And I really like Broderick's performance in this because he's he's overdoing it, right? Right. But he's overdoing it in a sort of believable way. Like, it's just overdone enough. <laughs> you know, when your kid tries to act sick. Yeah, she's, all she says is, if I was bleeding out my eyes, you'd make me go to school. That's right, yeah, bleeding out my eyes, yep. Her response is, I can't blame it. I was like, don't be angry at me. Be be thankful for your help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a typical teenager fashion storms out, you know, this is, I can't believe this. I want out of this family. Yeah. <laughs> Not that she doesn't have a point, but it's pretty typical teenage rage. Yeah, and it kind of sets the tone for her character for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Both what her part in the movie is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and how she feels about the whole situation. <laughs> His parents tell him, if you need anything, call us. Mom's like, I'll be showing houses in the area. I should be back this afternoon, blah, blah, blah. And then they, they leave. It's at that point, once the door closes, um, he gets up and he goes, he looks at the camera. It's incredible. It's like one of the worst performances I've ever done. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, how can I stay home on such a beautiful day? <laughs> he is breaking the crap out of, <laughs> out of the fourth wall. Right. <laughs> Which is like a non, I mean, it's, it's a trope that's used, but it's kind of a, a non-standard trope, but it's sort of how this whole movie kind of travels along. Right. Right. You know, in Family Guy, everybody, so many characters are like, so can everybody understand the baby or not? <laughs> you know? Well, a better analogy is Saved by the Bell. I'm pretty sure that's where Saved by the Bell got a lot of its thing from, because I don't know if you ever watched the show, but I did not. at random times throughout the episode of Saved by the Bell, Zach will the scene will pause and he'll turn and break the fourth wall. Okay. But it, the idea is that the audience is Ferris's friend, that they're in on all this, right. that Ferris has a relationship with the audience and, and you're, you're getting to come along 
on his wacky adventure today. Uh, and that this sort of sets the mood for that. Uh-huh. Is this where we roll into the explanation of, of how to fake being sick? Yes. Clammy hands. And he says, don't go with fake and a fever because if you get an overconcerned parent, you can end up in a doctor's office. Yeah. I like how they did this with like the checklist that appears next to him <laughs> uh-huh. and, and, it, and it just, you know, fake fever and then moaning and wailing, lick palms. Yeah. Lick the palms <laughs> for the, cl- for the clammy hands. It may seem childish, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> and then comes the classic line, basically the motto for the whole movie. Life comes at you pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Yeah, this is not the only time he says that (laughs) in the movie. But it's, yes, it's pretty much what Ferris Bueller's day off is all about. He gets up and he starts going about his normal day. I mean, he gets up and he goes into the shower and he's talking to the audience while he's in the shower about how lame school is that he has a social studies test about socialism and how he's not socialist. He's never going to be socialist. And and what use does that information have for him? It was on European socialism. So he's not, I'm not European. I'm not European, socialist. I'm not a socialist. <laughs> right. So then we get to see what, what Ferris really means by his expression, you know, you might miss life if you don't look around every once in a while, which is effectively, I don't feel like doing stuff. So I'm going to do this other stuff <laughs> that I find more fun, uh-huh. which, eh, I mean, yeah, we all kind of have that, uh, that in us, but then there's also, you know, the necessity to buckle down and actually do your job. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because he comes out of the shower and he almost gets a little philosophical about isms and he quotes John Lennon and it just breaks to a different scene to a classroom with Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, I don't know if any of you people know, but he used to have a game show on Comedy Central. Uh, so you're not oh, no, no, Ben, ben Stein. Stein. Yes, not Ben Stiller. Yes, Ben Stein. Yep, Ben Stein. Because it was called, <laughs> the show was called Win Ben Stein's Money. Yep. But it's the classic scene. It shows Ben Stein, and he's obviously the teacher of a classroom because there's a chalkboard right behind him. Yep. He starts taking roll. And of course, you know, one by one, kids are saying here here and then he gets to ferris bueller's name he just goes bueller just keep saying bueller 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 Bueller. (laughs) and he's he's got that like real dry long way of saying words just no expression yeah and it's bueller and so this this is probably the most used or most recognized used trope from this movie that ends up in other places is the bueller and most people steal it they don't even like put another name in there they just, <laughs> you know whenever they're trying to you know find someone yeah let's say that somebody's like <laughs> not paying attention or that they've drifted <laughs> off they're like bueller the other option of course is mcfly <laughs> you know yeah. well mcfly, McFly. Anybody home? home? Till finally a girl's like, oh, I think he's sick because I heard it from person A who's person B (laughs) and person C. Like goes through this whole high school teenage story list of people who saw Ferris Bueller pass out at 31 Flavors the night before. Yes. Yeah, it's like my cousins, boyfriends, uncles, nephews, brothers. What does that make <laughs> Former us? Roommate. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so this this starts the uh, another background story that's going on because you have the genie story, and then you have this other story, which is the is Ferris is sick and he needs help. 
story, which it ends up becoming the save Ferris time um, storyline, which is is just hilarious. <laughs> and it's another it's another trope that goes along with a lot of movies is having a a background story happening. And it makes the world more believable a lot of times because you have this concept that like, yeah, the audience is focused on the characters, but there's a whole world going on in the background around the characters and and having these storylines in the background that come to the fore every once in a while makes it more believable. But but this background story is so ridiculous. (laughs) Well, what it does is it makes you realize that time isn't standing still mm-hmm. that this is all part of a day. And there is a clicking talk or there's a clicking, ticking, clock. <laughs> a ticking, clicking, clacking, clicking yeah. clock, a ticking clock a on this movie. And on this day that it's not going to last forever. You know, <laughs> like you don't feel like three days have gone by when really it's just one. It's a whole day. And you can see the day is just progressing that, you know, everybody else is still going about their business yep. <laughs> after the roll call changes to, to a picture of this house. It's a very bizarre looking house because it's basically a box on stilts over what I guess is like a valley or a gorge or basically a ditch in the middle of the woods. It's supposed to look like very fancy, like rich people. This has to be a rich person's house because it's so eccentric. Like ultra modern. Yeah, ultra modern. I got to admit, I have no idea where around Chicago this could possibly be. (laughs) (laughs) i have to assume this is filmed somewhere else because there's no way (laughs) right because chicago area is really not that hilly and there's too many lakes and rivers (laughs) and stuff going on around it to be like that exactly as a truck driver who's gone through there many 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 times i can tell you there's no way this is that close to chicago (laughs) i mean we are assuming they are in a suburb but from what we see Later on in the film, they're not in like a super far out suburb. So, yeah, I got no idea where this came from. (laughs) So and then we go inside and it focuses on a phone that's attached to an answering machine. And you see a hand reach down, click a button and turns on the speaker. A voice goes, hello. And it's Ferris to call in his, his best friend, Cameron. Now, Cameron is lying in bed. He's got all these covers on him. He's got all these medicine pills, aspirin and Vicks rub and all sorts of stuff around. Yeah, it's a veritable pharmacy in this guy, in and around this guy's bed. You believe that he's actually sick. Right. You believe that this guy could actually be sick unless I'm like, you know, Ferris. Ferris right. <laughs> it, it provides an instant juxtaposition between the character of Ferris and the character of oh Cameron. <laughs> I say, come on, brain. What this points to is that Ferris and Cameron are, are very different people. Ferris basically talked his way into being sick by his parents. And we see uh, as the, the opening shots progress how elaborate his scheme is. Whereas Cameron has effectively driven himself sick <laughs> by worry. <laughs> So what's funny is I got this movie on uh, Amazon Prime, and if you pause movies while you're watching Amazon Prime, it gives you the actors and actresses who are in the scene, mm-hmm. and sometimes trivia. Something popped up here. I was I was looking at this, and it says general trivia: the hand that you see turn on the speaker for the phone is actually John Hughes's hand. Oh, really? Apparently, they'd shot that day and everyone left and John Hughes took the camera and did it himself because he felt that they weren't getting it right. Well, okay then. (laughs) So 
Ferris asks him, how are you feeling shredded? <laughs> and it's this conversation. He's like, so is your mom in the room? Because he doesn't want to get him in trouble. And he goes, no, she's, uh, where is she? She's in uh, Decatur. So Indiana. Ferris tells him, come pick me up. <laughs> and Cameron's basically like, but I'm actually sick. And Ferris is like, no, you're not. It's just in your head. Don't be a wuss. <laughs> Get over here and pick me up. Yeah, I can't <laughs> see myself having done this to any of my friends ever in my lifetime. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because it just sort of builds up kind of the difference between the two characters because, you know, on one hand you have this guy who is faking sickness so he can go out and do stuff and another guy who's effectively faking sickness so he can not go out and do stuff. (laughs) I guess classical introvert, extrovert juxtaposition. We also see a very stark difference between Cameron's and Ferris's parents, whereas Ferris's parents were fawning all over Ferris and were were saying that he had, you know, you need to stay home because you're sick and, you know, don't want you to overstress yourself. And they're, in fact, in the room (laughs) or in the house at all. uh, Unlike Cameron, whose parents we never see. Like, he talks about his dad quite a bit later on in the movie. He talks about his mom a little bit. But we literally never see Cameron's parents. Cameron appears to be uh, an entity that lives, uh, you know, by himself. (laughs) And and effectively takes care of himself. And just doesn't want to deal with the world. Yep. You get this sense that he's trying to help his friend out, but he's also trying to be self-serving, you know, Ferris is, because he keeps saying, oh, you're not sick. You just don't know of anything good to do. Now come pick me up, you know? <laughs> yeah, and this this plays directly into later on when Ferris, right? I don't know if it's right after the scene when he talks to the camera, right? He brings us in on the conversation. Right. He's explaining, I really have to get Cameron out. He's just wound up tight. You know, his roommate's going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron's so tight that if you put a lump of coal in his ass, in about a week, you'd get a dime. Yeah. <laughs> then we come to our villain of the movie. <laughs> uh, yes. We go back to the school. You hear a phone call happening. And it's like, Mrs. Uh, Bueller, uh, this is Ed Rooney, dean of students at blah, 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 high school. And you hear the mom just going, oh, God. And you're thinking, it sounds like a normal mom response to what did my kid do now? But really, she's just like, oh, I forgot to tell you that my son was going to be home sick from school. Mr. Rooney is concerned that he's missed, uh, he's had nine absences, right? Yep, nine times. And if, if he's out once more, then he'll have to go to summer school. And while he's talking to to the mom, he's looking at his computer screen. So this is like 1980s green DOS, <laughs> you know, no windows here, <laughs> looking at his computer screen. And he watches the absence number slowly drop. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Rooney's played by uh, Jeffrey Jones. He's been in a bunch of stuff, and usually he doesn't play a nice character. Usually he either plays a buffoon or he plays somebody that you don't like. <laughs> he's almost always playing a jerk buffoon. Right. Like in Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's very much like what Homer Simpson has become <laughs> right. over, over the years. You know, from caring father to total jack. <laughs> so you can just tell that this is going to be the bad guy because you're sitting in this, looking at this from the eyes of a teenager. All school administrators are the bad guys. <laughs> Like you said, the attendance numbers start going down. Then it shoots back to Ferris's bedroom where he's talking to the camera and goes, I wanted a car for my birthday. I got a computer. How's that for being born under bad omen? <laughs> Which is funny because Jeannie got a car. 
<laughs> even better. So this comes out after war games. So it's even better that this comes in because then automatically your audience is associating Ferris Bueller with the kid from war games. Yes, I would like to play a game of thermonuclear war. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You weren't supposed to say that, computer. Too late. Missiles have launched. So So anyways, it's uh, the back and forth with the mother and the dean. And she's like, I can assure you, he's a very sick boy. (laughs) I just want to point out that what Ferris did there would have been impossible by those uh by that time frame standards of computer technology (laughs) (laughs) hacking into the dos system of a school computer who's probably not hooked up to any network beyond just the network at the school you would have to say the same thing in war games too then (laughs) well war games is slightly more believable because you'd have access to like darpa technology and but in war games he did hack into the school computer because there's a scene where he's sitting waiting to talk to the vice principal he leans over because he knows where they keep the password and he gets the password from the secretary's desk because she left it on a piece of paper in there yeah this is a standard trope i mean we see we even see this in the movie hackers where he hacks into the school's fire system which nobody has a fire system controlled by uh, computers (laughs) and then opens the uh the sprinklers which is also not how sprinklers typically work <laughs> and sprays the school a very common trope but you know not believable <laughs> in real life and as a nerd i feel like it's it's my job to point that kind of a thing out whatever man worst episode <laughs> ever <laughs> and it's just him goofing off in his room and then we go back to the uh, social studies class where ben stein's explaining voodoo economics to the classes and no one's paying attention he's like does anybody know the answer anyone anyone voodoo economics and did it work anyone anyone no, no it, it did, did not, not. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's even paying attention. <laughs> and I love the, the faces. It's just this dead-eyed stare. Like, nobody's blinking. Nobody's moving. One kid's sleeping, drooling. Yeah. One girl's blowing bubblegum and it bursts in her face. <laughs> and then it goes back to him screwing around in his room. <laughs> By the way, he's got a very eclectic bedroom. It's just covered wall-to-wall with crap. Yeah. Well, he's got, it's a lot of um, uh, band posters, effectively. Yeah. I know. What is he doing in his room? Is he like setting stuff up or? So one scene he's playing the flute and playing it badly. He's like, uh, didn't take one lesson. So yes. <laughs> and then, you know, another one, he's dancing to the I Dream of Jeannie thing. Now we go back to school to Jeannie. <laughs> That's funny. And, you know, one of her friends like, sorry to hear about your brother. And she's like, why? You don't have to live with him. She's like, oh, I heard he's really sick. And so now starts the rumor mill. Like, or well, not really start. Now you're starting to see the rumor thing about Ferris start to take off. Yeah, this is where you get an insight into, okay, this this whole thing has a mind of its own and it's rolling in the background. And, you know, absurd kind of stuff like, you know, if Ferris dies, he's going to give his eyes to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Gene's <laughs> like angry face and someone's walking by like, hi Jay, shut up. Mm-hmm. 
And then she walks right by some guys listening or on the phone, on a pay phone, because schools had pay phones then. And it's just Ferris, again, just building up this story, you know, that he's sick, sitting at his keyboard, puts in like apparently like a floppy disk, like a real floppy disk. So that way he can make sick noises on his electric keyboard. (laughs) It's a synthesizer. And he apparently recorded himself making either vomiting and or coughing noises (laughs) on several of the keys for the synthesizer so he could effectively play himself sick which is honestly pretty ingenious, <laughs> I gotta admit. Also a clue in that, into the lengths he's willing to go to fake his sickness. <laughs> <laughs> Even so much so that he just, he tells the guy that he's on the phone with, hey, give the phone to somebody else, anybody else that's there. Yeah. <laughs> and then just plays it up for them too. And I'm trying to remember, like, doesn't, because these are, these are freshmen, right? And they're... Right. Yeah. And he's a senior. Is Are these kids he's like tutoring or helping somehow? I can't remember. Well, one kid he's tutoring because he goes man i hope he doesn't die i can't stand going to summer school oh yeah that's right <laughs> you know and then they hand the phone to a girl like oh my god is it serious he's like oh i might need a kidney transplant <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you know him smiling about how he's playing this thing up and then now we go to ed rooney's office again he's talking about how <laughs> He's going to nail this kid. He's going to teach him a lesson that he'll never forget. He's going to destroy his life and he'll look back on on this moment as the, the moment that ruined his life. And even I at that moment went, so let me get this straight as a educator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone who's trying to help kids, your specific goal is to destroy this kid's life before it really starts. Yeah. Like, I think there's some problems there <laughs> with your... <laughs> you have some mixed up priorities, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> Then you see that he's got pretty much a ditz, a ditzy woman for for a secretary. (laughs) Her character is so interesting. (laughs) Like, yeah, because she does come off as a ditz sometimes, but she also comes off as like she knows everything that's going on here (laughs) in other moments. Well, because in this scene, they're talking about him, you know, and how he's going to nail him. He's like, I don't know. And the kids all love him. You know, they think he's a richest dude. And then she starts listing off. All the oh different. Oh my gosh! That <laughs> list. <laughs> the list. The punkers, um, the skeezers, the nerds, <laughs> the geeks. I want to find that list. I want to read that list off. The sportos, the motorheads, the geeks, sluts, bloods, the, the wasteoids, dweebies. <laughs> they all adore him. They think he's a righteous Just dude. dude. <laughs> <laughs> just her doing it with that Midwest accent. Oh, she sells it so hard. <sighs> and, and so that's why like Ed Rooney's like, well, that's why I'm going to catch him because the last thing I need is for him to go out like a cool kid. Then I've got 10,000 Ferris Bueller disciples. Yep. <laughs> Again, we go back to the relationship of Ferris and Cameron. Oh, this because Ferris is, is talking to the camera, right? And he's talking about how Cameron is probably in his car having an argument with himself. Right, right, because well, he starts off the conversation like, I can't believe you're making me wait like this. And, you know, and then, yeah, so then you're thinking, well, is this really about his friend or is he just trying to use his friend for a ride? Yeah, yeah, because he kind of he makes that pretty clear that he's using his friend because he has a car. And then, <laughs> And then he switches the phone call over to see, you know, he's like, and switches to his his sick voice, and it's his dad calling to see how he's doing. That's like, put take a hot shower and wrap a towel around your head. Mm-hmm. Okay, dad. <laughs> he's, he's looking at the camera like, what? <laughs> wrap a towel around my head. <laughs> 
<laughs> so of course he hands down the best line that any best friend can give another best friend. Get over here now, or I'm gonna find me a new, a new best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, Cameron's like, "Well, you've been saying that since the fifth grade. I don't believe you." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. <laughs> <laughs> he's building up for his dad death this all this talk is making me lightheaded <laughs> i think i can go lay down <laughs> and then like you said he's like i'm so disappointed in cameron he's probably right now arguing with himself sitting in the car and i gotta tell you not specifically going to pick up a friend but i have sat in my car debating on whether or not to go to school or to play hooky and I've almost done this exact same thing. I've just argued with myself the whole time. Oh, no. I've, I've done this before. I've done literally this before. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it was because, you know, it was with, like, Chris. You know, because Chris used to live so far away from us. Uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, do you actually want to go out and get him? <sighs> I don't really feel that good. It's going to eat up, like, half an hour both ways. <sighs> Screw it. Five minutes later, all right, fine, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) You just keep calling me and calling me me and bugging me till I come over. (laughs) Like, even at one point, Cameron gets out of the car, walks away like 10 feet, screams, and walks back into his car. (laughs) And you never actually see him leave the driveway. (laughs) He's punching things, he's screaming, he's yelling, he's honking the horn. (laughs) It's just this really big internal struggle <laughs> yep it's so i'm gonna use the word again it's so iconic of like friendships in high school like once one or two people have a car and the other people don't like that's just how friendships work <laughs> for you know those couple years when there's only one person that has a car um you know, because for for a while it was like me and Joe, <laughs> right? And yeah, that whole scene spoke to me at a very deep level. <laughs> so I've lived this, man. I lived this. <laughs> so then the next scene is goes to a, a classroom, a different classroom with a different teacher. You hear him start talking about literature and whatnot. In the shot, it's almost entirely women. And of course, you know that the one that's of interest, because she's the prettiest girl in the classroom, by far. They make it very clear on who the character in this scene is going to be that you're going to care about. <laughs> in a way that only in 80s, 90s, and most, actually, movies today make it very clear. <laughs> she's the pretty one. <laughs> right. And of course, just like the previous classroom, Everyone's just completely bored. Yes. And then it goes to the hallway and you see this very large black woman walking down the hall. And it's very ominous music, almost like somebody's in trouble kind of music. Yep. And she walks into the classrooms, talking here, whispering with the teacher. And then she calls the pretty girl over and they're walking down the hall and the nurse like, I got to be the bearer of bad news. Your grandmother died. And then she hugs her. Yep. And the girl has a look on her face like, what? again the very poorly acted out surprised yes (laughs) oh my grandmother oh god my grandmother (laughs) and it's at that moment you start realizing like oh she knows what's going on here (laughs) we don't yet but she does (laughs) right 
it flips to Ed Rooney's like, you telling me this girl's grandmother just up and died all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> this scene. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> this really sets up who Ed Rooney is. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you got to take one hell of a leap of faith. The risk to payoff ratio is so huge here. So right. Huge. So huge. And he takes the leap that, you know, this is a scam. His secretary kind of mentions the fact that she's been dating. He, he asks, you know, who does this girl date? Yeah. Because he already knows in his head. She goes, it's so hard to tell with kids these days, but I do see her hanging out with Ferris Bueller quite a bit. Yeah. And here's the funny part. He's absolutely right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're just like, how are you going to prove it? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, get me her father on the phone. And before she can even leave the office to go make the phone call, the phone rings and it's air quotes her father. Yep. And you, you could already see Ed Rudy going, well, that's just very convenient timing. <laughs> and then, and of course, we were talking about that Ditsy moment. She asked the dean, you know, does he still want his daytime number? And so you hear this on the phone, this just bad imitation of a grown man. It, it sounds like the rich guy from, yeah, from, from Gilligan's Island. It sounds like the, the when Peter becomes rich for that time frame or whatever. Right. And, and there's that guy with the huge underbite. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't know what you want, sir. <laughs> and so you hear this voice talking about, yeah, we've had a bad, bad day today. I, I need you to let my daughter out of school for the day <laughs> so we can have some arrangements. And so this is where it just starts. Like you said, this is where the gamble just starts. And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. No problem. We just, uh, we need to see the corpse. We need, we need to see the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's like you're you're going along watching the scene, going okay, and then that that line hits, and you're like, what? Because <laughs> no no reasonable person <laughs> is ever going to make that kind of demand over the phone. <laughs> and even the person on the other side of the phone is like, I'm sorry. He's like, Yeah, just produce a corpse, just bring her, just roll her dead body yeah. on down here. You know, it's school policy. <laughs> so this, it's school policy, right? And then the, the secretary comes in, like, What are you doing? He's like, Oh, it's fine. It's Ferris Bueller you know, on the other line, the little twerp. I'm going to get this little twerp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not Ferris, but Cameron uh, doing the voice and <laughs> just roll her bones over here and I'll dig up Sloan. That's school policy, That's right? school policy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just like, well, he's only half wrong, but that also means he's only half, half right, right. Yeah, swinging for the fences here. <laughs> Let's see how he strikes out. And of course, as soon as he says "gets Ferris," you know, it's like bring your bones down here. The phone call comes in on another line. The secretary goes out to her desk to pick it up, and it's Ferris Bueller on the phone going, "Hey, can I talk to Ed Rooney?" And so right then, the secretary's like, "Oh, yeah, oh, oh, oh crap!" And the whole time, the principal is just going on with this stuff. And she's trying to flag him down to tell him, no, stop, stop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This this scene. It's like saying on the phone, like, if you don't like this policy, you can kiss my big old white butt. It's like she's like waving her arms. And he's like, what? And he's like, Ferris Bueller's online, too. It's such a great cinematic scene. He says, please hold. And he hits the button and he listens to Ferris. Ferris is just like. Hey, can you give my homework to my sister? <laughs> and then Ferris hangs up, and then he's looking at the blinking light now, like, oh, right. crap. <laughs> I just struck out hard. <laughs> it's that ominous music playing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so then he you know, he picks up the line. He's like, uh, Mr. Peterson, I uh, I think I owe you an apology. <laughs> so he's like, yes, you do. And it's then that you realize that it's Cameron. And it's just Cameron. And Cameron's just going off on him. How dare How you insult, dare you insult, insult me? me, my family. <laughs> you insult me. <laughs> I got a death in a family. You're like this. Pardon my French, sir, but you're. <laughs> oh, such a good scene. And Rudy's just trying to cover his tracks. Like, yes, yes, sir. You're right, sir. You know, he's backtracking as hard as any human being has backtracked ever <laughs> trying to recover ground. It's like, oh, no, I burnt this house down and now I need to unburn it. <laughs> So just have my daughter out front by herself. <laughs> Remember, he, he initially says he wants to see him face to face. And then and Ferris is like, what? What the hell? Because <laughs> it turns out Cameron and Ferris are in the same room. So Cameron has obviously gone over to Ferris Bueller's house. And Ferris has talked him into making this phone call. And several times Cameron pulls the phone down and says, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm ad and He's on to me. <laughs> and they go back and forth trying to figure it out. One of the, at one point, Ferris kicks him in the ass, if I remember correctly. Well, he first says, I want my daughter outside in 10 minutes by herself. This is the first thing. Then Ferris Bueller freaks out. He's like, you know, he'll do something's up. And then he's like, and then he's like, all right, I want you out there with her. Then he, that's when he kicks him. He's like, you know, what? we got no time to talk. I'll talk later. And then he hangs up. <laughs> and then they have the most argumentative point in the movie between the two, really. This scene combined with Cameron coming over, like the scene where they're, you know, talking on the phone and this scene kind of established like the depth of their friendship, right? Right. That even though sometimes Ferris Bueller could be just a complete insensitive jerk to his best friend, that they're best friends. <laughs> it sort of established that this is sort of their dynamic. That Ferris is always kind of pushing the envelope and Cameron is sort of just, you know, kind of being led along and going along with it, but he really does want to go along with it. But He's also pushing back against Ferris the whole time to kind of, you know, put the brakes on somewhat. And then... Well, because he knows that unlike Ferris, other people actually get in trouble for the things that they do. Right. It's a pretty good dynamic for a friendship (laughs) to have that kind of insight into each other. And so, you know, they have, you know, effectively a spat and then they make up at the end of it. Well, Cameron gets a little mad at him for kicking him. He's like, you know, hey, if you don't like the way I do things, don't call and beg me to come over and ask me to be part of your little pranks, you know. Whatnot. Yeah, don't make me part of your scheme unless you <laughs> unless you're cool with how I do things. Right, and then you go and hurt my feelings. You know, there's a, an apology, not apology. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a good level of like communication, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people in friendships today don't have this level of communication. Like, it's it's you can't say the other person hurt me. I can't I can't say you hurt me or or um, you hurt my feelings or I feel bad about this. It's sort of like, well, I'd rather not bring it up because it's awkward, so I'll just stop talking to them. <laughs> and, and that doesn't make a friendship, right? That that loses a friendship, but that also doesn't enable a friendship to keep growing. I thought that was good. After they make up and it looks like uh, Ferris makes Cameron a mug of tea, he, they're kind of like, well, this does present a problem for us because Rooney's going to expect Sloan's dad, not someone driving your kind of crappy car in comparison to what her dad would probably be driving. And so we got to find a solution to that. <laughs> and so he goes, I got to ask you for a small favor. 
big underline under small. <laughs> yeah, small quote unquote favor. <laughs> so pants them in a different location, walking up to two sliding glass doors with some really awesome Twix commercial music playing. <laughs> this is the the iconic Ferris Bueller's Day Off music now, which uh, shows up several times in the movie if I remember correctly. <laughs> but I think this is where it makes its debut. And so it just pans up to Ferris and, and Cameron standing next to each other. And Cameron's oh, like, yeah. this is the oh, 1961 oh. Ferrari 250 GT California. Oh, oh. which is a sweet sweet car (laughs) like by all accounts by everybody's accounts gonna break down like crazy because it's an old ferrari and that's what they do (laughs) but sweet car (laughs) and cameron's explaining that only a hundred were ever made and it took his dad three years to build it it is his love it is his passion and in fairness like it is his fault for not locking the garage (laughs) (laughs) so you're like well now we know where this is gonna go (laughs) poor cameron there's a lot of sympathy for cameron we have at this point (laughs) oh yeah because we know what's about to happen (laughs) <laughs> we know it's probably not going to go well in the end. I don't know if I would have had the guts to take this car because I just instinctively know they're just trying to hide that. <laughs> yeah, it somewhat belies, um, you know, what we get eventually about Cameron and his dad, but it somewhat belies uh, Cameron's sort of relationship with his father. The fact that eventually he was willing to be talked into it. Although I, I find the he has the miles recorded on the odometer. He's like, well, we'll just drive backwards. <laughs> Which for for some older odometers, that used to be a thing. <laughs> used to be able to do that. But that's not that's not true. Of after a certain point, I can't remember because that used to be a trick. You know, used car dealerships would do was they would drive their used cars backwards in the kind of the same way we see later in the movie and take the miles off, right? So they would seem like newer cars. But I guess that's a lot of foreshadowing there. <laughs> and so they're arguing about taking the car and not taking the car. And he's like, oh, look, we can't show up in your car. It's a piece of crap. And I was like, hey. He's hey. like, well, hey, I don't even own a piece of crap. <laughs> Gotta be jealous of your piece of crap. <laughs> crap <Edward. laughs> uh, which again, so high school. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. If you'd like to spend a little more time with us in text form, head on over to our webpage, patentthefatman.com. Leave comments, suggestions, criticism, whatever you feel like talking to us about. And if you feel like supporting us, we do have a patron. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com, patentthefatman, and uh, support us. Become a fan, a huge fan, a big fan, whatever kind of fan you want to be, and uh, get access to the exclusive content over there. I'm Pat. I'm the fat man. Stay classy. Oh, yeah. Home Alone is just a classic, but... Don't uh, you forget about me. Uh, no, keep talking. I'm just going to sing here in the uh, background. Okay, well, <laughs> this is definitely a, a really good John Hughes movie about teenagers being teenagers. And, Jesus H. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me <laughs> troubles and doubts. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Thank you.